Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And this is Episode 7, Rest. Welcome to the Sandbox. Chris, I remember one of my old coaches, we've been talking about coaches actually, it seems like uh, on the podcast for a while here, but one of my old coaches had this saying, he'd say, you'll have plenty of time to rest when you're dead. That's a great thought, isn't it? And and the same coach used to tell us, we labor on Labor Day. So in full defiance of my old coach, I give you today's topic, rest. What is it? Why rest? Rest. Why is it important? Why should we not wait until we're dead? I'm so excited about today's episode. We have a special guest. We have lots to talk about. But before we get there, we've got some great things coming up. Uh, You want to tell them about it, Chris? Yeah, this coming weekend on Sunday, September 27th, we'll be hosting Science Mike McHarg for our next Sandbox Cooperative live event. Mike describes himself as a Christian turned atheist turned follower of Jesus, and he uses his story to help people know God in an age of incredible scientific insight. I really love his unique perspective on how to make sense of the struggle that many people have to reconcile their faith with their understanding of science. And if you haven't been part of our live events before, you can check it out by going to sandboxcooperative.com. The events are streamed live, and you have the opportunity to engage others and the presenter in questions around the topic. Yeah, I'm so excited for Science Mike to join us here in here in Rochester, and then of course, for the conversation to spread out around the country. We've been really busy pulling stuff together for this event, but maybe that's a good segue into talking about what we're here to talk about today. We've been really busy. And at some point, we can't continue being so busy. We need to take a break. We need to take a rest. So let's think about rests and breaks. Uh, and, And you had some insights with regard to music. Yeah, one of the first thoughts I had as we started talking about rest was the importance of, of rests or the space between sounds in music. Mm. So I want to start by, by having us listen to this. It's the intro to a live B.B. King performance of his tune, The Thrill is Gone. kind of strange but to me the guitar sounds like it's reading poetry if your spaces in between the words aren't right it doesn't quite mean the same thing or you might miss some of the emotion listen to this one part of a song by sun house called death letter I love blues music, especially the Delta Blues style, like that Sunhouse tune. In fact, that song Death Letter is a near-perfect example of a traditional blues sound, the 12-bar blues progression. And if you couldn't tell it was blues by the chord progression, Sunhouse's vocals, with the way he spaces each lyrical line, is a huge part of what makes that song. Sure, it could be written differently, and it could be a perfectly acceptable song. But what makes it blues is the way his voice leaves space for the guitar. That spacing or that rest helps convey a specific style and emotion that he's going for. Sure, and, and you hear that in certainly in music. But you and I, we were just talking about it yesterday for public speakers. We were talking about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We were talking about uh, presidential candidates as well. How the space and the, the, 
difference between the words uh, carries weight mm -hmm. and conveys meaning. The same is true visually. Think about posters, maybe a concert poster. Think about the opening screen for Google. It is all this whole white screen with the logo and a place to enter in your search. When that started, it was such a difference from Yahoo, which had stuff everywhere. But Google was so simple, and even the blank space holds meaning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another another important aspect of music that I think of when I think of rest is actually tension, which maybe sounds mm -hmm. a little bit counterintuitive. Um, but musical tension is the idea that a combination of sounds creates a sense of strain, but then as they resolve, there's this relaxation that happens, as if everything falls into place. So depending on the style or song, that strain might be more or less harsh, but the push and pull and that movement helps to evoke different emotions in what we listen to. There's a group called the Civil Wars who unfortunately don't play together anymore, but they've got this incredible acoustic folk sound and just some killer harmonies. In the last couple of years, they're one of the best examples of musical tension that I can think of. The things that they sing and play just seem to hang on and on with building tension and finally resolve. Mm. So listen to this cover they did of Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. People always told me, be careful what you do. It happened much too soon. She called me to I love the way that that sits in tension for so long. There's just enough dissonance to pull you toward the edge of your seat, waiting for it to move forward. Yeah, but Chris, it might be hard to listen to just that, right? Yeah, only hearing dissonance might be too much. I once heard about a fraternity at a university's music program that had people listen to dissonant chords and unresolved scales for hours on end as part of their initiation in the group. <laughs> That's brutal. Yeah, most people would not make it through that. Um, in fact, it's the lack of breaks and that unresolved tension that keeps people from understanding a lot of music styles like metal or jazz. To many of us who are more or less trained to expect a resolution, something like this can just sound like noise. That's part of A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. And in reality, it's probably one of the greatest jazz recordings ever made. But listening to music that stretches our sense of sound every now and then is different from our daily pacing. I love that album, but I don't know how long I could listen to just that album, and specifically just that part. We can't keep that constant pace up for very long, and we know it. But for some reason, that's exactly what we do with our lives. Yeah, if we're li living our lives in constant tension, it's going to have effects. It's going to take its toll. It's like that in life. Too much busyness leaves us frantic and out of control. It often has these physical consequences. For example, my, my dad was a pastor, and I've talked about him on the, on the podcast before. But when I was about 15 years old, he was extra busy, like ridiculously busy. 
There was this major crisis happening at the large congregation where he served. Without going into the gory details, it was pretty brutal and all-consuming stuff. He was on his way to preside at a wedding when he started feeling a, a shortness of breath and a pain in his chest, and he was scared. So he went to the hospital to get it checked out. Seriously, I don't know what he thought would happen at that point. Maybe he thought there'd be a, a quick fix or that he could go on to the wedding that he was officiating at. But as soon as they saw a man in his early 40s come through the doors with shortness of breath and chest pains, the guy was going nowhere. They started hooking up machines and monitors giving him medication. They were treating a full-on heart attack. So my dad says, well, what about the wedding? I've got to go to work. And they said, not anymore, you don't. Lay down, pastor boy. It's time for us to work now. All right, I got to confess that last part, a little bit of embellishment on my part, but it sounded pretty good, don't you think, Chris? It was pretty great. Thanks. Anyway, it turns out that he didn't have a heart attack. It was a stress attack. He was so ramped up and overworked that he had physical issues that presented like a heart attack. I'll never forget walking into his room and there was my dad laying in a bed with monitors hooked up even though they knew it wasn't his heart. He looked at me and said words that I'll never forget. And this is a direct quote with no embellishment. He said, well, Dave, this is my body's way of giving me the finger. My dad always did have a way with words. But, but here's the thing. You can work constantly and never, ever take a break until your body forces you to take a break. The thing is, when your body forces you to stop, that there might just be doctors and nurses and other medical intervention involved. And from what I've seen, the hospital is no kind of place to get caught up on your rest. I think of it like my iPhone. If I don't plug my iPhone into a charger on a regular basis, the thing is useless. Connect it to a power source, and I can play Candy Crush all day long. Keep going constantly, and you will be useless, and your body will give you the finger. Take a break, reconnect with your power source, and you're good for another day. Yeah, that reconnecting and recharging is, is really important. If we don't have an opportunity to rest and regain some energy, we, like you said, really become pretty useless. So we wanted to learn a little bit more about that and things like what happens to our body when we sleep and rest and what's some of the science behind what's going on. So we spoke with Dr. John Park at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. John Park works in the Center for Sleep Medicine and in Pulmonary and Critical Care at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where he also serves as an assistant professor of medicine. Welcome, Dr. Park. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Well, several questions as we think about rest mm -hmm. and, and Sabbath. With regard to sleep, what is your area of expertise and, and what problems do you work to alleviate? So in regards to uh, sleep medicine, my primary focus is in treating um, breathing problems during sleep, mm -hmm. um, whether it's because their airway blocks or whether for various um, medical conditions or reasons they don't breathe very well. That's probably my biggest area of, of, of um, interest and research in regards to sleep medicine. The connection between breathing and sleep. Right. So it turns out many things happen while we sleep, and one of which we naturally actually breathe less while we sleep. Okay. 
It just we just don't have the same metabolic needs as we have when we're awake. And, but sure. but for for various medical conditions or other reasons, there are folks who just don't breathe very well. The most common would be those who snore a lot and their mm -hmm. airway blocks when they're uh, trying to breathe at night, and that's what's called sleep apnea or stopping breathing. But there are other medical conditions, people with bad lung disease, people with uh, brain damage or neurologic diseases that for whatever reason they can't breathe, and so we figure out how to help them through that. That's fascinating. Uh, so much about taking breaks is to be able to catch our breath. Absolutely. And then here we are, uh, even as we're trying to sleep, not able, mm -hmm. even as we're trying to rest, not able to breathe. Right, yeah. right, right. From a physical standpoint, why is sleep important? Well, so it turns out, um, you know, we spend a good portion of a day sleeping average. It should be seven to eight hours. Mm -hmm. And during that process, it isn't just everything shuts down. Actually, things are quite active, um, both from the from our various hormone perspective. There are some hormones that are released more at night during our sleep than during the day okay. to a point where um, particularly in kids, if they don't sleep well, their growth hormone actually becomes blunted and therefore they don't, turns out they might not grow as well wow. if their sleep is very frequently interrupted. Um, mothers um, breastfeeding um, with much sleep interruptions, their, the, that whole breastfeeding milk production, those can also be affected. So a lot of hormones, our thyroid hormone, our stress hormones, all of those get regulated. Our heart, um, perspective, it turns out normally when we sleep, our heart actually slows down. It's mm. supposed to. But again, if we aren't sleeping well and it's stressed, turns out folks who ha have sleep disorders, particularly who, folks who stop breathing at night, they actually have a higher risk of having heart attack during their sleep or very early morning hours than those who don't have breathing problems. Mm. And so the heart rest is important. Brain function, um, it's very important. For, and it turns out in terms of our memory function, um, there's part of it that happens while we sleep that helps us better consolidate our memory. Um, and so there's both, I mean, every organ in the system, uh, every organ in our body, it turns out while we sleep, that's when they either recover or process or regulate things. And so things are happening while we're sleeping that turns out it's important for our body function. Allows us to enjoy life better, allows us to uh, process information better. Um, it turns out healthier too. Our immune function, for example, turns out it's important for us to get our rest. A couple recent studies that said, if we don't sleep well, we're more likely to not only get the flu um, or get it, get sick with the flu, but it, after a flu shot, for example, kind of to help develop our immune system, sure. if you don't sleep sufficiently, your body's take on that actually becomes less versus if you slept well. So when I'm hearing about people saying, I don't want to get a flu shot because I'll get the flu, and then I hear, no, that's not how it works. Actually, if you're not getting sleep, it, that actually could be true. Yeah, so there is a, so actually this one trial just recently came out that said, um, if you don't sleep well, those who are exposed to the, say, the flu virus, if you don't sleep enough, and this was looking simply just at sleep deprivation, if you don't sleep enough, you're more likely to get the flu from that flu exposure than those uh, who slept well. And unfortunately, you know, especially with school starting, kids just bringing all kinds of different bugs, yeah. that again, if they're not sleeping well, it turns out they're more susceptible to getting that infection rather than a, a helping allowing their body to fight that. So I often hear about pe people saying, you know, I just don't need much sleep. 
you know, I, I can function on, on, on much less. Yeah. Is, you know, how much of, of the amount of sleep that people need is, is, is subjective uh, or in, how much of it is, well, actually, you really, really do need that sleep? Yeah, yeah. So it's a great question. So the only thing that we have to go by is um, um, few studies that looked at what is a, a, a average sleep requirement for us to function. And one of them was a large nationwide survey. And most of us, we probably need about seven and a half hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that's what we call a bell-shaped distribution, meaning there are folks who do seem to do perfectly fine on six. There are folks who seem to require 10 to be able to function in the day. But there are other data that suggest in the two extremes of how much sleep we get. So if we get too little or too much, it turns out the risk of dying just all cause of death, if you sleep too little or too much, that turns out they rise. And there's, hmm. that there's this kind of a perfect amount of settling of how much sleep we should get to reduce our risk of dying, for example. That perception of how much sleep do we need, it's again, it's difficult because particularly as we're younger, we say, oh, four hours, that's all I need. Sure. I'm perfectly fine. Sure. I could go, go, go. Right, right. And it turns out that our ability to know when we're sleepy, obviously, unless we're chronically sleep deprived and we're mm-hmm. so sleepy or falling asleep at a drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. But um, but our perception of our, our what we think we can do when we're sleep, a little sleep deprived, mm-hmm. when we really drill down into the little minutiae tasks and how how vigilant are you, how attentive are you, how can you process things, it starts to actually show signs before we are aware that we're actually, that sleep deprivation is affecting our decisions. And so it's hard to know how much, and when someone says, oh, I'm perfectly fine on four sure. hours of sleep, it's, 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 again, certainly God created us differently, so all yeah. of us need different sleep, but, you know, the extremes are probably unlikely. Somewhere within an hour or so of that seven and a half is probably more reasonable. Um, yeah. And there are folks who just, in spite of their best effort, they can't sleep more, and some folks, in spite of their effort, they can't sleep less, and so, you know, all of us are different. So it's hard to say what everyone needs, but just recognizing that certainly our our um, perception of how much sleep we think we need could be could not maybe could be misguided sometimes we're the last to know exactly. <laughs> that we need sleep exactly i just was on a road trip back from the east coast and and uh went for about 23 hours and i felt wow. great yeah right yeah yeah which i'm pretty sure i wasn't <laughs> and then i spent the next week just catching up yeah, yeah realizing that i am I don't know, not 20 years old anymore. Exactly. And, and uh, that was. <laughs> and crazy not thing about. Well. Yeah, crazy thing about sleep deprivation actually turns out to be cumulative. So if you're an hour short of sleep every day, yeah. at the end of the week, you're seven hours short, turns out. So it's a cumulative mm. effect. And so it takes us a while to recover our sleep deprivation. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, that would make sh- sense of the week that Absolutely. after the road trip. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else should we know about sleep? Just. Generally speaking. Yeah. So what else? So again, so, you know, sleep is, is an important design that, mm-hmm. that we need to make sure we protect. Unfortunately, there are folks who have various sleep disorders. So even though they want to, they can't sleep. And we, then we need to understand why that might be, whether medications or other issues that may be inhibiting them. And though, even though they want to sleep, they can't. And again, with all of us being unique individuals, our own biological clock can be different. 
And that may be one reason why someone says, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I wish I could sleep, but boy, I'm wide awake. And it turns out there are folks who have what we call delayed sleep phase syndrome, where their biological clock says, I'm not ready to sleep until two in the morning, but boy, I gotta get up at six to go to work. And then Mm -hmm. that's where they become sleep deprived and Mm -hmm. they can uh, have issues with that. And so recognizing that all of us are unique and different, so we need to better understand why is it that we can't sleep or why is it that we sleep too much. And so there are various sleep disorders that I think if you feel like you're not able to fall asleep in your ideal time, wake up reasonably refreshed most of the time, and mm-hmm. understanding things happen. You're out late for whatever reason, you're staying up late for whatever reason, you're on a 23-hour road trip right, or whatever. Right. So there would be little variances. But if you find that you're chronically feeling that you're not sleeping well, Maybe because it's so that sleep is so important for our function, our mood, our memory, various things. I think it's important to kind of talk to to somebody about why that might be and explore reasons and figure out what we can do to try to improve that. Well, thank you so much uh, for for your time and for for sharing some of your expertise. Uh, it is it is much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you for having. Thank me. you. You know, somewhere in there, I heard Dr. Park say, "You need enough sleep to keep from dying." That's good advice. It's really good advice. <laughs> I think I think one of the reasons we don't get enough rest is because we expect so much of ourselves in terms of productivity or, or busyness. But in order to get the rest we need, we probably need to be more realistic about how much we can actually do and actually should do. Right. And in our North American context, we absolutely need balance between rest and productivity. But from a societal standpoint, we couldn't be further from that sense of balance. We are definitely out of whack and focused on productivity. I want to read you a quote from Mark Buchanan's book called Sabbath Rest. He quotes a guy by the name of Wayne Muller who said this, I have visited the large offices of wealthy donors, the crowded rooms of social service agencies, and the small houses of the poorest families. Remarkably, within this mosaic, there is a universal refrain. I am so busy. It does not seem to matter if the people I speak with are doctors or daycare workers, shopkeepers or social workers, parents, teachers, nurses, lawyers, students or therapists, community activists or cooks. Whether they are Hispanic or Native American, Caucasian or Black, the more their lives speed up, the more they feel hurt frightened, and isolated. Despite their good hearts and equally good intentions, their work in the world rarely feels light or pleasant or healing. Instead, as it all piles endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes the standard greeting everywhere. I am so busy. You know, it's almost noble for us to say, I'm so busy, because if we're not, we're seen as being lazy or useless. But if we act like the world turns because of our work, then, then we're really productive and useful. But I think maybe the more compelling idea and way of living is in this short prayer from Pope John the Twenty-Third: Lord, the world is yours, not mine. I'm tired. Good night. There's an ancient religious word, idea. It's called Sabbath. Sabbath refers to a sanctuary in time rather than a sanctuary in space. 
A sanctuary takes physical space. It is a place at a, in a church that's protected for worship. It is physical place, it's acreage, it's protected for wildlife. You can't hunt there. It's an encampment protected for refugees, giving them safe haven. A sanctuary is protected space. But Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. A sanctuary in time is time that is protected. Protected for rest. Time protected for renewal. Time protected for stopping, for ceasing. It is a protected hour, afternoon. It's a day or a week. Whatever it is, it is intentional time protected to catch one's breath and to be whole again. The Bible begins with a poem about creation. It is rhythmic. There is ebb and flow. It tells the story of creation, of, of the creation of everything through ancient Near Eastern eyes. In this poem, God is busy creating, making, molding, imagining. It is crazy, joy-filled creation at its finest. But how does the poem end? Well, God takes a break. God rests. God simply rests and enjoys what was made. Part of the rhythm of this newly created life is rest. Rest is the punchline of creation. If God rests, so should you. So sit back and enjoy. Was God done acting and working in this story? No. The story had actually just begun and there was plenty of work to do. But in that moment, it was time for a break. I believe it was Rob Bell who once said, Sabbath is a time when your work is done, even if it's not. I think, I think we can learn something from that. Sabbath is a time when your work is done, even if it's not. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. We hope to be able to connect with a few of you uh, this coming weekend for Science Mike at our live event. Uh, as always, we'd love to know what you think about the podcast, so let us know on our website or at Facebook or Twitter, or give us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox. <laughs>